Hello, I'm Lily Hyam. And I'm Gordon Johnson. Welcome to the Last Question podcast, brought to you by the Data Lab, Scotland's innovation centre for data and AI, hosted by the University of Edinburgh. If you're enjoying these episodes, please do leave us a review and a rating on your platform of choice. It really does mean quite a lot to us. And as a thank you to our listeners, towards the end of today's episode, there'll be a code for 25% off tickets to this year's Data Summit event in Edinburgh in November. So keep an ear out for that after the interview. Before we launch into today's show, we need to make a quick public service announcement. We're going to be discussing religion and its relationship to AI with Father Paolo Benanti, advisor to the Vatican and Pope Francis. Due to Paolo's position and our own native culture and upbringings, we're likely to talk mostly in reference to Abrahamic religions, especially especially Christianity. Yeah, we want to make sure that it's clear that we're not dismissing or ignoring other religions or beliefs. We're just not equipped to properly discuss them in this context. Uh, if you happen to be an AI expert and a person of faith, we would love to hear from you. Please do write to us at datafest at datalab.com and we'll read uh, some of the messages out in future episodes. Okay, with that caveat out of the way, let's get on with the show. As you have noticed, we love sci-fi on this show, and religion has a rich and fascinating history of portrayal in futuristic media. This podcast is named after the famous Asimov story, which, spoiler alert, becomes a creation myth, and you'd be hard-pushed to find a sci-fi franchise that doesn't touch upon religious themes. That's absolutely true. I mean, from The Matrix to The Handmaid's Tale to Star Trek and Futurama's Church of Robotology and First Amalgamated Church... Religion offers a rich vein of philosophical and often satirical ideas to extrapolate out from. Uh, It's not a recent phenomenon either. Uh, Superman, from the very beginning, has been steeped in Christ-like imagery. And arguably the first sci-fi book, uh, Shelley's Frankenstein, is a story of creation gone wrong. And Frankenstein's monster has been described as the Christian Gollum. Uh, If you're really keen on Gollum chat, you can check out our nanotechnology episode with Laura Tripoli for more uh, more Gollum-related information. Should point out, this is Gollum, the creature from Jewish mythology, (laughs) not Gollum, uh, the guy who loved the ring and his precious from Lord of the Rings. Mm. (laughs) Which is disappointing. I was hoping you'd do an impression there, but... No, I really did consider it for a second. I thought, nah, I've got a a reputation to maintain in this town. Yeah, yeah. Not a good one, but... (laughs) (laughs) so yeah golem chat yeah golem chat so this is the last golem with gordon and lily Mm -hmm. religion has often played a key role in technological innovation and equally has been a significant barrier in some instances as well the powerful religious right in the usa is often considered anti-science and anti-progress but we wouldn't have the modern world without the genius of medieval islamic scholars Religion, science, and technology have a wildly intertwined and complicated past, and the future doesn't look like it's going to be any simpler. So as we mentioned, today we are talking to Father Paolo Benanti. Paolo is an academic of the Franciscan of the Third Order Regular, a theologian, teaches at the Pontifical Gregorian University, and is advisor to Pope Francis on issues of artificial intelligence and technology ethics. Paolo, thanks so much for joining us. As I'm sure everyone listening is aware, um, AIs are imbued with the inherent biases and preferences and morality and worldview as the people who create them. Uh, Even if you program your AI to learn about other cultures, it will still be learning through the lens of that creator. Uh, This is why building ethical, inclusive and trustworthy AI is central to the Scottish government's AI strategy. 
Uh, as it stands, the two countries spending the most money on AI development are the USA, which is obviously heavily influenced by a, a form of Christian morality, and China, which is shaped by almost like de facto state-mandated atheism and the political thought of Xi Jinping. So, Shangri Palo, how do you see these cultures shaping the future of AI uh, and AI development when the technology itself doesn't really know any borders? Well, I think that uh, probably we should uh, look at technology not simple as a means, but also as a cultural means. There is not technology that is not shaped by the environment and the desire and fears of people that use it. Uh, to say it in a synthetic way, the first time that one member of our species, 70,000 years ago, probably take a club in his hand, it was a tools or a weapons. Uh, well, the, this difference, this double use of every kind of technological artifact now is pinging on AI season. Uh, and of course, looking at uh, the complexity of the world, we have a lot of use cases in which this tool can help us to be, live better life. And there is a lot of tension to weaponize it. Uh, well, uh, as a Europe, we know a long uh, history of the last century in which the weaponization of the industrial production simple was the companion uh, that, that bring up to the World War I and World War II uh, chemicals uh, and then all the steel and, and everything that uh, simple was the everyday uh, innovation of the 20th century. Well, now uh, we have still against... Uh, learned that a technology don't become itself a progress without uh, a societal and political uh, component to it. So unionizing ourselves and working for peace is what simple they weaponized the technology in the last century that we bring to the to the to the world. And today we have AI that simple can ping over the work market, that can ping in everyday life in a huge high tension international relationship. And so it's not just a matter of the United States and China, it's also a matter of all the tension that we can simple see watching from the windows the world. And so for the first time after World War II, we have again war in Europe, Ukraine. We have this incredible high tension between the United States and China to Taiwan and all the dominance on the eastern part of the world. And so we should be aware that technology itself uh, is not enough. We have to ping on technology to, to, to maintain that long tradition that we developed in the last century in some way to, to make it urban to subtract from the weaponization, to subtract from any kind of use that could simple produce uh, an advantage for the owner of technology uh, and push on the collectivity side and push on the fact that there is a, a series of good things to achieve that has to be made in this process that transform technology to the progress. And so to make it shorter, uh, we have technology, now we have to build the progress. Yeah, I think having a people-focused approach to technological innovation is really the only way forward. You know, progress for the sake of progress without the human element is, well, leads to disaster, really. Yeah, yeah like you said before, you know, uh, we, we are developing AI and AI 
is simple the mirror of human behavior in some cases, and so so the human uh, cognition bias. Well, let me say in that perspective that we have a cognition bias. When we look at technology and innovation, sometimes the technological elite that developing technology have a bias. What is good for me is good for everyone. So what produces a huge gain for me, myself, my company will be almost useful for everyone. But what we saw with social network with the last decades is that this huge monetization of social networks are connected to a much more polarized society. And so the first bias that we have to fight is not inside the AI, is inside the developer of AI. And, and that is uh, probably uh, something that university and also uh, European with the tradition, with the kind of tradition that we have, uh, we, should, uh, we should make it present on the debate today. I find it interesting that you said in another interview that you did that um, one of the ethical principles the church holds, especially since Pope Francis, is a precautionary principle of think twice, cut once. I really liked that phrase. Um, but it seems to me that in this kind of recent speedy development of AI, there might be more cutting than thinking at the moment, and or maybe just a not, not enough caring. Um, how, how do you think the church or modern religions can help influence this precautionary approach in developing and using new AI technologies? Well, the, that's it's really important because uh, in my feeling, uh, from the developing of computer age, uh, in, uh, the United States approach is a brute force approach. I, if you look at what the ENIAC producers say, the ENIAC computer is, is wonderful because it can solve the partial differential equa equation of von Neumann in 30 minutes. 28 to cut uh, the cardboard and two to make the calculation. And so the speedy, the, the speedy approach to have the bomb was a speedy that brute force the calculation. And if you look at the last developing, at the last uh, frontier of, uh, of AI, large language model, well, this is a huge brute force approach. And we make this and push on the society, push on the market, uh, and, and we see how to monetize it. Everyone is running on that. If you look at the last transformation of Twitter on X, that is, uh, and there is a companion society, XAI. Uh, yes, we, are, we know that we can have some kind of solution, but because this kind of innovation is not state-driven, but it's driven by company, at one point they have to, to capitalize it. They have to monetize it. And if you simply throw it and use it, yes, you are cutting, you are not thinking. Neither twice, probably once, if, if it happens. Well, precautionary uh, principle is something that we can say in a church perspective as something that comes from the past. Uh, the power of AI is anticipation in the future. But the wisdom that comes from the past say that sometimes uh, we lose control on the tools that we, that we develop. Uh, and this losing of control it, it, is something that will ping on us because you, you have to be precautionary. There is a lot of examples, uh, especially with the use of information and uh, Jew Jewish persecution in Europe. There is something that always uh, make me think because, you know, in a country like uh, Netherlands, that was used to be really tolerant, the rate of Jewish that was persecuted was 
triple than the other uh, countries in Europe. One of the reasons is because they have a centralized identity system. And so when you get the control of, of, on all the information, then you can use in a really fast uh, executing way to, to be dangerous for people. And this, and this brings us to the other side of the question on China, in which the state is simple owning all the information of people. Uh, well, precautionary is also not, not only think twice, cut once, but also stop yourself and think a bit. Uh, think on the unwanted consequence or the best or the not think and use of that technology that could arise. Uh, when you push in the market or when you push in the society. And what, what simple, let me think on that perspective is what happened with the, you know, a mid journey picture of the Pope with the uh, fancy poof. Uh, okay. Myself, I have no doubt that it was a, a generative AI images. You know, the, the Pope, it's a little bit elderly, it's a little bit benched. Uh, and he's standing like a model on a fashion week. But this is not the point. The point is that the man that produced that kind of images was someone that is not an expert on the field. He worked in our own world house, so with a totally other job and profile. And so this kind of democratization of the technology that can arrive to everyone with simple prompting inside that public space uh, should uh, shrink. Tell us, slow down and think a little bit. That, that image completely fooled me uh, because I didn't, it was like just mundane enough for me to think, yeah, you know, that was, that, that could be beautiful. And I didn't really think about it until days later when I saw that it was AI generated. I suddenly like analyzed it properly and thought, well, of course that's not real. Like that's absurd. Um, but I think that's, that's the thing that worries me about generative AI is that it's not going to be like the really dramatic, crazy things that I'm going to fault for. It's going to be the very mundane, small things that just kind of eroded the idea of, you know, truth, I guess. Mm, if it's mundane, maybe you think that the why would someone make a fake version of that? So it just slips through because you're not questioning it as much. Especially in a communication world in which uh, speed is the only key, no? and, and you have the byte click title of the news that go in the feed of the social network. So the news that are more written is not anymore the one that uh, are on the best newspaper, on the best source of news, but the one that has the more uh, uh, astonishing titles for people. And this is perfect because you have also the, the a visualization for something that uh, simple keep attention. And so the, the, the temptation to monetize in that way the, the news market uh, could have a, also a lot of side effects. And with so much data on like clicks and finding out how many people are clicking on what type of titles, you can just narrow it down to finding the best words based on that data, even if not, they're not the best words to describe the real, what is actually happening in the news. It's just, we have shown with our data, these are the words that will make the audience click. Maybe it will lead them to not believing, that, like understanding the truth, but they'll read it. I read somewhere ages ago that the New Scientist magazine, whenever they put the word quantum on the, the cover, they sold about 30% more copies because mm -hmm. it's just like 
real life clickbait. People just are fascinated by that kind of uh, that kind of chat and that kind of technology. Um, religion and art have been inseparable for a very long time, maybe since all of time. Thomas Martland of Columbia University argued that religion does what art does. It is an expression of ideals, um, perhaps also an expression of ideas and how we think about those things. Some of the earliest examples of humans exploring art are ascribed to religious practice. Over the last 12 months, the relatively sudden emergence of generative AI artistic tools, such as ChatGPT, DALI, and Midjourney, as we spoke about, to name just a few, has led to the renaissance of interest in AI-generated art. However, it has been argued by some that the rapidly improving mimetic ability of AI is leading us to a semantic apocalypse great phrase, where all art and human expression is simply AI-generated materials recycled from previous expression, which uh, fundamentally embodies and means nothing. Described by the writer Eric Howell as pure syntax, so losing semantics, gaining just syntax. Given the intrinsic connection between art and religion, how do you see the evolution of art and artistic expression affecting religion in the future? or how religion uses art? Well, probably, in my feeling, more than inseparable, we can use a, with a strong correlation between art and And, uh, well, that, that, that it's interesting, but I think that this is not the first challenge that this kind of uh, visual art has with technology. Imagine that at the end of the 18th century, you was an impressionist painter, that spend one month to make uh, a picture of a déjeuner sur l'herbe, a breakfast on the on the grass, making point by point, point by point. At one point, uh, one man with a black box put the camera near to you, push the button, and in five minutes you have a really grainy picture of the same things that you put one month. Wow, it's photography. Photography, it's an imitation of the nature, not less than the art uh, in a lot of, uh, of things. Well, what we saw is first a theoretical reflection, Benjamin, uh, Walter Benjamin, the, the future of the art in the age of reproductibility, in the age of multiplicity, technological multiplicity of the image. The second thing is that we saw an arising of a different form of art, that is photography. So probably now a lot of people are scared by the things that we can do with a photography or we can do with a kind of other art now is made prompting, not a simple uh, shooting or not simple with a, with a sort of pencil. Well, it's simple, different uh, tools, uh, all the art uh, is crossed by this kind of technological innovation. Van Van Gogh painting was not possible without chemicals that give to him different kind of color because it was a synthetic colors that was not uh, available before. And now we have a huge problem because this kind of chemicals was not stable and the painting got really degrading really fast. Uh, now it's not mother of chemicals, it's, it's mother of chips and electronics. And, and, and probably what we see is that the artistic feeling is something that is deep inside the human beings. 
Now we are amazed by the facility, the, the, the easiness uh, that we have to produce some really high quality images, but there is still not art. Contemporary art is struggling with AI. There is a lot of exhibition on that with a lot of attempt. Uh, there is also some kind of quantum art, just to, 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 to be easy and to allow someone to sell more, uh, more pictures. But we are in a transitional time. You know, art is something that happens not only when you have a genius that paints something, but also when you have a canon. So something that is uh, in a community recognized an, an artistic expression. And so probably we need uh, the time to digest this kind of new canon that is the AI canon, generative AI canon. And then we will see something really interesting about it. About religion, the use of religion with art was really different time to time. When the church was used to speak only a language that no one was speaking anymore on the earth, Latin, just the, the clergy, we need art to communicate what we are seeing with our words to the people. Uh, and this is also really connected to St. Francis. At one point, St. Francis take the song of the people in, in the early Italian, and change the world and make these uh, beautiful uh, faith-filled songs. And, and probably something like that will happen. Uh, a, a classical artistic canon probably now is not speaking to a lot of people of this culture. Uh, if you look at, at one culture that is using graffiti, and you show them Michelangelo, probably the symbolic content of Michelangelo as a barrier to touch someone that is expressing itself like Bansky. And so probably we need a Bansky of AI. So, so for religion, someone that is able to take what is inside the life of people of nowadays and express this with other means that allow us to think to what is beyond the sky. That is usually what is fate-oriented to. And probably there is also new educational tools because one one use of, AI, of art and religion was also to make it visible some history from the Bible. And you can imagine how easy it would be to make it visible, to produce an imagine, a public imaginary on some content, also for, for a country in which probably uh, bring an artist is too, too difficult. If I have to guess something, probably in some, in some church in Asia or in Africa, in Nigeria, in which there are a lot of AI startups, we start to produce some kind of AI art for faith. Uh, we need time. Uh, if things are going in that direction with that speedy, probably it's speedy to the, the art and church. But at that time, when we see something, it will be interesting to analyze, not in the sense of AI, but in the sense of what is inside human beings that use this tool to express something about faith. In my perspective, this, the human part of human-AI relationship is always much more interesting than the technological part. Mm, I think you're right there. That, um, when we talk about like semantic apocalypse and we're quite negative about, about AI art, maybe we aren't thinking enough about how as much of the art is in the interaction with the community it exists in and not just in the artifact itself. Um, I think it was a, it was a book by 
Roland Barthes' Death of the Author, which I think also applies well to art as well as to literature. In his case, it was about literature. But um, perhaps, as he would say, the art itself is not what contains the meaning. It's the viewer that contains the meaning, and it's inside us who observe the art. But not just the individual, but within the community contexts, the meaning gets created. And I think that's a more positive way of looking at AI art, is that you're not losing the meaning, you just get the meaning from what's around it, as we did anyway with art. And also with what you were saying about they're using uh, AI-generated art to perhaps illustrate parts of uh, stories of faith, parts of the Bible maybe, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of images we get with that because uh, I'm thinking about how the data sets used to train these AI models might have a lot of like white, blue-eyed Jesus imagery. That means that when people are like trying to perhaps make some of the images of Jesus in historical um, settings, it won't. It will be a, a particular kind of Jesus that will reveal a lot about our training data set, and not so much about uh, what we actually think Jesus probably was like in real life. Yeah, that could be interesting. Yeah, I can take a page of the gospel and use it as a prompting for some kind. And looks what happened. And but I was not so negative on the blue-eyed Jesus, you know, because it's not simple a bias on on Jesus. It's also a way to say that Jesus is near to me. So if I am a blue-eyed, a blue-eyed Jesus means that Jesus is near to my experience, near to my feeling. If you look at the way of the cross, traditionally kind of prayers that Christian doing during the lands, Jesus falls three times. Uh, there is no way in the gospel that say that Jesus fallen. But that kind of things tell to people that uh, the same struggle that I need in my life was in the life of Jesus. So once again, it will be interesting to see uh, what will happen uh, and in the devotional way, because the blue-eyed Jesus is a devotional painting. And so probably we will have a devotional use of AI for faith, uh, the memes uh, could, probably could become the new way in which we have the oligarch. I don't know. We will see. Uh, and probably in culture that they are less connected to paper, and in Africa it's much more easy to read the paper on a smartphone than not on paper, well, we will see something really interesting. This is another another way to see that um, inculturation of the faith. If you look in Africa, you see a lot of black Madonna and black Jesus. And probably we will see also AI Jesus and AI Madonna. Of course, coming back to the first question, if the system is feeded by our historically image depot, probably the system has the tendency to produce something that is really near to the past, but not to the contemporary. But at that point, the, the prompting could easily change something, you know, because you can modify an image really fast with this generative uh, model. And so we can imagine that we can put a really classic images of crucifixation of the cross and then allow with few prompting to make it much more ethnically diverse or cultural diverse. But at that point, once again, we need the artists that make this kind of bridging. Who 
think the only thing we can be sure of is that it won't get the hands right. I'm still yet to see an AI-generated image that doesn't have about 12 fingers on each hand. You know, but one day. There's a long history of religion moving in step with technological process, uh, progress, sorry. You know, from Islam incorporating compasses to find Mecca to digital Tibetan prayer wheels. And now you've got, you know, these big high-tech Christian megachurches and Scientology's e-meter things. You know, religion's always found a way of incorporating the profane into its day-to-day life. So I'm, thinking, I'm wondering, like, with AI automating so much of people's lives these days, and with humans being able to delegate more and more complex tasks, do you think this will have an impact on religious practice? You know, if you can automate tasks to make religious observance easier, like um, programming routines to make life on the Sabbath easier for Jewish people, or even prayer candles, for example, automation. Uh, do you think that will have an impact on religious practice? Well, uh, I, I would say that there is a multiple possibility of answering to this question. First of all, is it our relationship to technology a little bit religious one? Uh, well, uh, in the past, when we have the pagan temple, you are used to go to the pagan and simple bring them uh, uh, to chicken. And the priest uh, make a correlation between the two chicken and the star in the sky and tell you the prophecy. Well, this kind of oracular relationship could be one of the relationships that today we have with some kind of AI system. And people that use ChatGPT as a search engine, simple, uh, they are making something that is not so much different. It's an oracular uh, relationship to this generative AI. Uh, and a lot of text, uh, classical text about uh, the, 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 the Delphi Oracle uh, now could be postponed to, to this kind of GPT use, chat GPT use. Uh, and the second thing is, uh, once again, focusing myself on large language model, just to make an example, uh, probably the most uh, similar thing in the past that we can make uh, connected to the large language model is the invention of the press. The first uh, press printed book was the Bible, uh, and it changed a lot the religions because you move from everyone that is looking at one book to each one that has his own book, and the interpretation became one-to-one. Now, with the computed language, everyone could have his own text that is different and different generated. And so probably we will see something so revolutionary as the print invention was, but not only in religious field, uh, in other field. Uh, and um, when the press happened, we know that Luther used it to make this kind of reformation with a lot of using of press and using of uh, uh, comics to make the a criticism to the power. Well, now, uh, after the Illuminism, after the Enlightenment, after the old uh, past century, uh, we know that the power, the secular power, is not anymore concise, uh, the same things with church, church power. And so probably the first effect of this kind of new press, uh, the digital uh, large language model, will be on the power much more than on the church, and so on democracy. Yeah, the criticism will happen on democracy. And look at 
things like Brexit, uh, uh, what happened with QN and, uh, and other things. Uh, Gilles Jeune in France, Podemos in Spain, five stars in Italy and things like that. But also on, on religion and belief, of course. Mm, it's hard to predict how and where, but if I have to describe you the magnitude, in my feeling is like a new invention of the press. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see uh, lots more different versions of religious texts because people can kind of generate their own with the same source, but in a way maybe that's um, more personal to them. Uh, it's easier for them to understand or um, relates to their life more. Um, that's going to be interesting to see if we have lots of those versions and what they'll be like. Hmm. I also like the idea of uh, ChatGPT as an oracle. That's an interesting idea that I haven't thought of before and are people going to treat it as an oracle and is that dangerous because <laughs> we it's like the hidden knowledge behind the output right like you it's think like, of um in, in some time it's like if you have an horoscope you know when, when you when you're reading you are looking for the effects for the future I have a lot of people that simply ask about uh, really famous people chat GPT and then start to laugh about the mistake that chat GPT did not understanding that ChatGPT is simple a demo of a linguistic model that has only one means, keep you interacted in, in chatting. Now we see a lot of different use. For example, we have uh, Bing that include the uh, GPT for search, and there are using like, for example, Perplexity AI that make the same things. What is really interesting, there are tools like Perplexity, just to make an example, ask you a personal profile. So the, the system, tell me something about you, who you are. And I'm a monk that uh, is busy with the ethics of AI. Why you, you decide to make the monk? Why, why you have an interest in ethics of AI? This is a real case use I did with perplexity. And then the answer will be in some way shaped by my identity. So can you imagine what can happen with uh, data profilation, like that one that can come from social network? plus AI generation, uh, we are not only as a feed that is composed by a different series of news according to our profilation, we can also have a totally different view of reality. Uh, and that will be the total uh, atomization of cognition. And if we start the real enlightening process with the definition of standard knowledge in Cyclopedia. Uh, now what will happen? Wikipedia will be different for each one of us. And so change, there, are, there are a lot of tension that can produce a lot of change. In that sense, uh, probably is also something that has to be in charge by some kind of university because university take the name from universal knowledge. And now in the age of uh, infinite uh, personalization of the knowledge, like that one that generative AI can produce in this copilot mode, what is the means of the university? What does it mean to looking for a universal? Mm -hmm. but, well, I don't want to see uh, or, or look like an apocalyptic one because this kind of AI can, could be used for good really, really easier. Imagine you can express quantum theory with a language that uh, a biologist can easily understand, 
or a humanistic can easily understand. So it can help a lot education, but it's not, it, it does not be taken as granted. If we don't make something as society, as a cultural, as a university, as, as everyone that is a stakeholder in the process, to in some way to push the innovation in that direction. Infinite customization, infinite personalization just terrifies me. It would be great for some things like education. You know, right now school systems fail lots of different people because they're not really suited to particular kinds of learning. If you can have personalized education for every single person, it would hopefully mean everyone could reach their full potential, which would be a wonderful thing. Let me think to the Glasgow University, you know? How many students are now in Glasgow University? 20,000, 30,000, 60,000? Well, we can move from one university, every 60,000 students, to 60,000 universities. Each one customized for every student. You are flipping out the, the model uh, uh, and could be really powerful, but could be really changing the way in which we understand what education is. Not taking yourself and making you near to a model, but change everything to be near to you. Mm. I don't want to say that it's bad, better or worse, but it's changing and it's changing fast. It'd be interesting to see how that affects um, groups of people working, working together on, let's say, like a, a scientific study. You'll have them coming from it at, at the study with different perspective, which is a good thing. But if their understandings are all slightly different as well, what if uh, it would take them a little bit longer or they're, they're, they won't quite understand each other in the way they communicate in their team because they've gone to effectively their own university where they've learned their science in different ways? How is that going to affect peer reviews, teams of people working on scientific studies? Yeah. Uh, and this is a process that is already started. If you look at the last uh, sociological studies on the last generation that came to the work, team working is one of the most difficult things for its generation, Z generation and centennial. Uh, they they are also called with a really bad word snowflakes because it's too they are too soft to have this team working. So probably it's something that will amplify a process that is already started. But it can fix it. Imagine if communication is a problem. Well, I, I send an email to you and the system knows that you can be offended by that. And it can be automatically reshaped to make it softer. <laughs> and see a lot of less divorce in some way, you know? <laughs> and I really... If anything comes from AI, I hope it's that. Because the number of like career-ending emails I've sent over the years, like, my life would be so much easier if your Gmail says, "Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't talk like that." <laughs> yeah. Or if WhatsApp uh, send you a warning, are you sure? May I give that a little retouch to it? <laughs> I think some way it is happening, you know, because one of the first use of ChatGPT was to to fuel Tinder interaction. First chat Tinder interaction. Help me to say something nice to this woman. <laughs> probably kids are in front of us already. They are already trying to, to to have this smooth conversation. Then the problem is, did you fall in love with this person or with his AI? <laughs> yeah. Do they have to keep 
using AI to speak, to be able to be the same person in a way for, for the rest of the relationship. But that was already in literature, huh? If you take the Cyrano de Bergerac, and who was the first model of an AI for a, a falling in love relationship, or the love at the time of cholera, is the same things, you know? So probably we are touching some deep point of the human beings, in which the real question is, what is the difference between uh, human intelligence and artificial intelligence? What does it mean to be human is the most problematic question in the age of AI. For anyone unfamiliar with the term, transhumanism can be described as the use of technology to augment and improve the human condition. It bears a lot of the hallmarks of religious belief. There are promises of vast improvements to human life and even immortality, but only to those who subscribe to the belief in some cases. The writer and former evangelical Christian Megan O'Geeblin suggested that transhumanism transhumanism offered a vision of redemption without the thorny problems of divine justice. The end result of transhumanism often predicts post-singularity godlike abilities for humans, although it could be argued that this is subjective. Compared to the average person 200 years ago, everything we're able to do with technology right now could be considered godlike to some. If transhumanism is a successful pursuit and humanity, or at least a portion of it, is afforded greater and greater abilities, what does this mean for the future of religion and belief? Instead of who watches the watchmen, it's more a case of what will the gods worship? Well, uh, let's put things in perspective. Uh, first of all, when every one of us get a shoot of vaccination for COVID-19, we got an improvement. So I don't, I don't think that the improve in itself is the problem. The problem is which kind of technology could be really an improvement. I was in, in, a, in a conference in 2012 talking about uh, human enhancement. It was in New Orleans. And at one point, one of the present in the conference uh, asked uh, for uh, off-label use of a drugs that can simple fix any kind of memory inside you. And they they were saying, I'm simplifying a little bit, one of the most used uh, substances today in the top uh, university in the United States, the ones with the higher uh, fee, is substances that help you to be focused. So you can have a normal uh, life uh, and then you keep focused on your class, and you get the best results. If we then get, give to these people uh, something that allow them to memorize, and don't forget, you simply have the best uh, return of your investment in your education. Well, I raised up my hand and said, look, imagine that we have a, a woman that has to make this important uh, finals, and she takes this kind of memory, of memory and answer. Well, then she go to a party, and in a really unlucky way, she get raped. We are condemning her to live with the same freshness, with the same grade of, it happened now, for the rest of the life, this really bad episode. Are we sure that forgetting is a defect of the memory? And now the problem is, what does it mean to improve? Uh, and as a religion, we know something that is eschatology, and is what will happen when the history will finish. 
And we know that salvation is something that happened after the history. Then the most uh, problematic ideology of the last century are based on the idea that you can move after the end of history, the salvation inside the history. So when you talk to Marxism, they tell you that revolution would be the salvation, no more need, no more things inside the history. And you can see how things will go. Uh, transhumanism, some form of transhumanism, to be more precise, because we are making a label, but when you make a label, you are always framing a lot of things different in the same box. Huh? Some form of transhumanism has this kind of defect. They put technology as the Marxist was putting the revolution. It's the solution on any human problem inside the history. But theologically speaking, that cannot be a salvation. And so probably we will see the distance from what we hope and what we will get with these things. And then it could become a really dangerous uh, domination of this new mantra, uh, innovation, innovation, innovation in our life. Also, in, in a way, like I said before, in which this kind of innovation, it's not really a, a, a real enhancement of human life. And religious know a uh, good announcement. They call it virtues, not only religions, but also philosophy. Now, virtues is an announcement of your behavior in, in which you can live happy. That is what uh, Plato and Aristotle was used to say. So it's not a bad the idea to be better than how we are today. But it's the question to ask to ourselves, is this kind of changing in my life? a real upgrading of my life. Is this, this idea that I'm getting old and aging a defect of human nature? Well, if you look at the sci-fi, science fiction, the bicentennial man uh, is a chasm of history. Uh, this robot gets uh, something really near to human beings. At one point, he realized that is something that is missing. Cannot die. And to be a real man, he has to die. Because this is the problem. A machine work, we uh, exist. And if I have a, a duck and a hybrider, the silhouette of both is really similar. The duck with the long nose is not different from the hybrider. Well, if I turn off the hybrider, then I can turn on again. If I turn off the duck, then I cannot turn on again. So what is the difference between something that, that functions and someone that exists? Once again, the problem is who we are, and only after we answer to this question, we can see which kind of technology could be defined as improvement and what is something that is simple, an illusion, or worse, a distraction of what we are. Mm -hmm. And after all these uh, millennia of humans, we are still thinking about who we are. Him go and answer. It happened from at least uh, 3,000 years, and probably it's an ongoing process. <laughs> yeah, it's an unanswerable question. I mean, if we do actually achieve some kind of digital or physical immortality through transhumanism and transhumanism practices, it's going to have such a profound effect on the human condition because, like you said, being a human used to be temporary uh, and pretty soon it could become permanent. Um, and then if 
society will change as well because if you don't have the I don't know the kind of promise of a of salvation in an afterlife where everything's perfect, and nor do you have the kind of threat of the opposite, like some sort of hell situation, that will change the way that people act and it will change uh, morality. And always, these technological advances aren't going to happen to everyone. They're going to happen to the rich first. And then, for lucky, it will trickle down to everybody else. Yeah. Uh, also, this is something that uh, could be really different. You know, salvation is for everyone. Instead, the gospel, you have a lot of parables that say that there is the rich that is going to die and the poor that is going to die. And bo for both of them, there is a, a problem with salvation. Uh, if it's a human drive and immortality, um, probably it will be for the, the one that can afford it. Because now you have to afford the idea of having a longer life, more, much more longer in Western country than your work life. And so we have a lot of problems with pension and retirement plan. Uh, and, but uh, when you grow up, you think to the future as a, something that is different, as something that is desirable. I have a fear that with an endless life, uh, you will become down to live in the present with not past and probably not desire for the future. Every day is another day. A little bit like every given Sunday, you know, the movie about the, 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 the football. And so that is anthropologically speaking, a deep changing in our attitude in life. Because every one of us, at the end of the day, has to ask to himself, did I spend well my life? Because it's something that I consume today. And they make us dreamer or scared or fearing. That is also something that is based on a lot of the decision to get married. You know, because there is something like that. I don't know, it's too much different from our experience to try to imagine how it can, could change the quality of our life. And probably we have a, also a lot of examples of people that has nothing that is lessing to them, thanks to Michael Jackson. And then they have this deep uh, pain of life. So, I don't know. It's too difficult, too, too, too different from the base human beings' uh, condition that we experience at least from 70,000 years today. The first way play, we know where we was in the Neolithic because we find graves, skeletons, and body. Imagine a world without body. You don't bear anyone anymore. That really would be the end of history, basically. Um, oh, the end of desire or having a better history, you know? If you can just do it another day, why do it today? Some people will think they went pushed each day to make, to change or do things, um, improve, make progress. I'll do it tomorrow. There are endless tomorrows. Yeah, and probably psychiatry tells us that a lot of societal is thing happen when you have no any more idea of future. Mm -hmm. So this kind of behavior, the societal idea can happen when you have not any more any chance of a different future and you feel yourself trapped in your life. 
So do it voluntarily. Probably it's not so smart. I mean, the thought of a, an eternal life doesn't really do it for me, to be honest. This one is exhausting as it is. You know, the thought of it never ending. Let, let, let me do the theologians. Uh, eternal life is not an infinite life. Okay. Eternity is not an endless thing. Uh, how, how can I describe eternity? Look, think of the last time that you get out with your friends. Maybe I, I'm playing with, uh, you know, with, uh, with the, the, the bias of taking a whiskey or a Scottish, you know? You get out and you, you cheers with a whiskey. And you feel that that night was really well spent. And inside you, someone said, wow, what's nice, do it again. Well, that kind of sparkle is a sparkle of eternity. Eternity is that quality of experience, something that enlightens you and say, wow, it's not an endless. So you have a sparkle of eternity in an experience that was finished. And eternity will be a series of experience like that. It's not a, a, an endless movie in which you have to sit on your chairs and see now what, what's going on. And if we see which kind of movie we are much more uh, willing to see, probably is Mission Impossible. It's not the, a documentary on the life of a, of a world that nothing happened for six months. The reflection of eternity in moments. With that said, I think now it might be time for some wild speculation. In each episode of The Last Question, we ask our guests to look beyond the scope of their research and speculate wildly about the future. Paolo, what do you think the next 50 years of artificial intelligence develop will look like, development will look like? Well, uh, probably we could de develop a machine that not only will imitate our intelligence, that can develop a different from human intelligence. And, and that would be the most interesting thing, you know, uh, something like that happened in robotics. Uh, there is some people that are developing robots that are imitating human beings. And then there are the swarm robots. It, it, we are used to think that one intelligence is one body. Well, try to think a different body with one intelligence. This is a known we are not used to that kind of intelligence. If you look at the dogs of Boston Dynamics, you can see something like that. One with this big hand on the top can open the door and the other dog can pass. It's a swarm intelligence. Well, you can imagine that we start to develop different forms of intelligence from the human one. Probably we didn't find any life in the exoplanet, no aliens, but we could have alien intelligence developed on the Earth. We didn't discover life on Mars, but we can produce Mar life with the synthetic biology driven by AI, able to live, live life in Mars. So that kind of evolution in which uh, our dreams about science fiction will be human produced could be the future, the next future. We already are bringing uh, uh, Lunar base on the dark side of the moon. It's not a Pink Floyd quotation, but uh, it's something that we are going to do. And probably we'll be, we will produce with gen folding or crowding folding with AI, new form of life, a new form of intelligence. 
And it will be the most challenging scenario, you know, because transhumanists is still focused on the earth. I suggest to look at uh, outside uh, our solar system, and probably 50 years, I don't think, but also beyond. And, and that will be really interesting because we can colonize with life all the solar system, and we will have life for Pluto, life for Mars, and we will have a new kind of explorer like um, in the past, and which is not anymore the Black Africa to be discovered, but the unpredictable or self-developing life in a new environment like Mars. And everything like will be AI-driven. So to answer the question, uh, do aliens exist or is there alien life off Earth? It could be yes, but not yet. We'd like to thank Paolo Benanti for joining us today uh, for that fascinating exploration of the future of religion. You can see Paolo in person at the 2023 edition of Data Summit, uh, the Data Lab's flagship conference right in the middle of DataFest. This year's Data Summit is back at the EICC in Edinburgh on the 2nd and 3rd of November 2023. And all of our listeners can get an exclusive 25% off their in-person and live stream tickets with the code ds 23 TQL. That's all caps. So head over to datafest.global for tickets and information and uh, the full program of what's going to be happening over those two exciting days. And here we are, the last question. This is where we pose our listeners a question and in a future episode we'll discuss some of the most interesting answers. Our question this week is, how will artificial intelligence impact faith over the next 50 years? And that's it from us today. We'll be back next time with more insight, innovation, and wild speculation. If you feel like getting in touch to say hello or to suggest someone we should talk to or to correct us even, please email us at datafest at datalab.com or you can find us on Twitter at datalabscotland. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do leave us a review on your platform of choice. It goes a long way and means a lot to us. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another episode of The Last Question. Goodbye. Tomorrow